Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, and you may be seated. We have coming up at the end of this month the Parasol Tea. It's a delicious luncheon for ladies and girls. Saturday, April 29th at 1 p.m., and uh, we're going to be inviting others to come. I want you to do the same. We have sign-up boards, and make sure before the service is over or before this week is over that you sign up. Now, coming up in the days ahead, everybody be sure to catch From the Shepherd to the Sheep daily from 6 o'clock on on our YouTube platform. And then also on Saturday, let's be out to clean because Sunday is such a big day. One of our large days when the place will be filled, and praise God for that. So we want to clean on Saturday at 9 o'clock. 10 o'clock, we're going to have a special version of our Blitz because it's the last day of our Phil America, Phil Virginia campaign that's currently going on. We want to break all the records. And so we're going to distribute, oh, hundreds and hundreds, hopefully a thousand or more smile tracks. And you can be part of that. Come on out. And, uh, and we're going to invite others to come and just get a good group out as we pass out tracks on Saturday. Get ready for Sunday. Sunday, of course, a special day. Let's be in Sunday school. And then we'll let Sunday school out early because our special Resurrection Sunday choir is going to be preparing. They'll be coming in and singing and a musicale uh, with everybody present. We'll have all of our Hispanic uh, ministry people and all of our children's church people all together in here in one great gathering on Sunday. It'll be, of course, followed by preaching from the Word of God, and uh, then there'll be a baptismal service. So it's going to be a great, great day. Of course, we'll have evening service as well. But we want to urge everybody to be out. This is a great time of year. I'm glad that Jesus is alive and well. How about you? He's not dead. He's a risen Savior. And praise God that God is the God of all comfort, as we have already stated. It uh, has been pointed out that God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. Now write this down. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. If you thought that was the case, then you have been taught or allowed to believe something erroneously. God did not comfort us to make us comfortable, to make us rather comforters. Comforters. And that's what our scripture is telling us tonight as we turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We have, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We have completed 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and did so last week uh, where Paul closes out talking about grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verse 23. And then he says, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And uh, he has urged us to stand fast in the truth, and we want to be among those that will be counted faithful by the Lord. So we have completed 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 16. Now we've moved on to uh, 2 Corinthians and chapter number one. This was written by the Apostle Paul and given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Let's review 2 Timothy and chapter three again. These are verses that should be memorized and used very frequently because we're living in a day in which people 
Don't believe that they've got an inspired Bible or they think they have an inspired Bible that expired. But we know that ours is still inspired. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, And that from a child, this is writing to Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, look at that, underline that, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So he makes it clear that Timothy got filled with inspired scripture. And, of course, he grew up to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word scriptures are very important there, and you want to underline them and draw a line down to the next verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So what did Timothy have? He had scriptures. Well, what did he have? He didn't have the originals. He didn't have the writings of Moses in the original. He didn't have the writings of David in the original. He had copies of copies of copies of copies. And yet the Holy Spirit... Through the Apostle Paul calls these Scripture. And he had Scripture that it says in verse 16 is given by inspiration of God. Now, what have you got in your hands? Scripture. And it's given by inspiration. That means it's God-breathed. So the God-breathing part of your Scripture and mine it hasn't run out. It's still inspired. Amen. It's given by God. We still have it. And the inspiration is there because of another factor that we're going to look at. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's what we believe, for reproof that bowls us out and straightens us out, correction fixes us, for instruction in righteousness that the man, that's the person, of God may be perfect. That's complete. I'm going to be preaching on perfect hearts coming up in a week or two. Man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That means that our heart is right with God and we are totally and completely equipped because we've got an inspired Bible that's not expired. Now go back to Psalm number 12, Psalm number 12, and look in verse Number six, where it says the words, plural, of the Lord are pure words. So the inspiration is in the, the words are inspired, and the inspiration is there because of something else. The pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified, how many times? Seven times. That's a perfect, a completed number. Uh, and it says, thou shalt keep them or guard them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So the words of the Lord are pure words. The words that Timothy had that were copies of copies of copies were pure words given by inspiration and preserved. So because we have preservation, we also have inspiration. So the Bible I'm holding is the inspired, preserved word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, for those reasons that we read back there in 2 Timothy 3, and verse number 17, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we know that 2nd as well as 1st Corinthians are scripture written by inspiration and preserved for us. There was a problem, a problem at Corinth. The people were confused and the people were involved in some sins and just as quickly as Paul dealt with that and the people had repented, there was also a challenge. 
a challenge that took place. We know that this scripture was probably, probably written from Macedonia, maybe the city of Philippi, but there were problems down there in Corinth to the south. And one of the problems was that somebody had started to spread slanderous lies, false accusations about the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? But people today are still spreading lies about the people of God. The devil operates in the realm of slandering and whispering and rumor-mongering, and we need to have no part of that. And don't even listen to it. Don't even have a part of it. Paul is writing for three reasons. He's writing to vindicate his life and his ministry, to crush, number two, the false accusations, and number three, to encourage the people of God to go on and finish. Here's what was going on. The devil always distracts from what's really going on. What was really going on was the people of God were raising funds to take care of the needy at Jerusalem. So an offering was being received. We read about that with faith promise scriptures in 2 Corinthians and chapters 8 and 9. So we understand about that. We've studied that, in fact, last fall in conjunction with our Faith Promise Missions Conference that we, we had uh, over the course of the month of October, I believe. And so we're going to be reviewing that again when we get to it, but we've already covered it in verse-by-verse verse detail. The devil didn't want that offering to take place. He wanted to, to upend the apple cart, so to speak. And so to do that, he started some false accusations against the apostle Paul. And that's what it's all about. When people get all sidetracked on false accusations, they stop doing right. They stop going to church because they just don't want to go down there where there's all that arguing or all that fussing or the, those things going on supposedly. They don't want to read their Bible, pray, give. They don't want to do the things that they've been doing. And what suffers? The work of God suffers. The missionaries suffer. And so Paul had to do something. Even though we don't run to our own defense, we should always run to the truth. Always stand up for the truth. And now I don't care if you believe the truth about me or you believe a lie. But for the cause of Jesus Christ, which is greater than my reputation, we're going to share the truth with you. That's what Paul was saying. We had a friend, after he was horribly slandered, he was heard to say, uh, would you please tell me where I go to get my reputation back? Because that's the sad tragedy of lies and slander that gets spread. We don't want to be a part of that. So this person who is spreading the lies was calling Paul something that he was not. And this caused a great deal of tragic grief. It's almost like a death. When you go through this kind of pressure... When people are saying things about you that are not true, it's like going through a death. It's like experiencing a tremendous loss. The stress factor is awful. It's terrible. And some people might try to say, well, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't matter. But it does hurt. God just wants us to take that hurt and turn that tragedy into triumph. 
God has never allowed this kind of accusation to come the way of God's people without it having a higher purpose, a greater, uh, more productive purpose than ever before. Swedish hymn writer uh, Lena Sandell Berg served with her father in an evangelistic ministry. They were traveling home by ship. Unfortunately, Brother Berg fell overboard and accidentally drowned. In need of comfort that only God could supply, his daughter Lena wrote these words. She wrote them at the most difficult time of her life. And in so doing, God gave great comfort to her, but she also spread comfort to others, and that's the key. Here's what she wrote. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Think about that. Her dad had just drowned. And she wrote that. God gave her comfort. And that song has been sung down through the years. I think Corey sings that, and you've sung duets with her. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. We don't work up that strength. That comes from the God of all grace. Remember, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. God comforts us to make us comforters. I like that. Will you turn with me then to 1 Corinthians? Let's begin to read. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see that God is the source of our comfort. He's the source of our comfort. God does not allow us to go through the trial alone. He never allows us to experience it alone. Do not ask him, why are you allowing me to go through the trial? Because he will never tell you any answer other than this, because I'm God, that's why. But know this, every trial you go through, because not of who we are, but whose we are, God goes with us through that trial. That's what makes all the difference. That's what absolutely changes the night today and gives us comfort that we in turn might be comforters. Follow on now, verse number four. Who comforteth us in how many of our tribulation? All, in all our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a lot of comfort in that. You see all the times that we have a form of comfort? All right, so he is the God of all comfort, who comforteth, that we may be able to comfort by the comfort 
wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and boy, sometimes we just sense so much hurt and so much pain and so much loss, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. I believe this. I believe in every case where we're facing that kind of a trial, God always is there and provides what we need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God always provides enough, because God himself is enough. God gives us what we need because He's what we need. He is always there. He, he won't prevent us from going through everything, but He will go through everything with us and give us all that we need in so doing. There it is. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. He allows us to go through a purging, a pruning. He allows us to go through all of the stages that are necessary to make us fruit-bearing and fruitful believers, and that includes times of temporary loss. Sometimes it's deep-seated and very uh, hard to take and difficult to go through, but He gives us what we need because He is all I need. Christ is all I need, all I need. All I need. He was crucified for me. He died on Calvary. That is why I know He loves me so. Christ is all I need. He'll never, ever shortchange you. You'll never come up without enough. He's always there. It's only when we get distracted, like the devil wanted to distract the Corinthians from what they had to do. They were going to raise a wonderful offering for the folks that were suffering at Jerusalem. And the church that had been the mother church, the beginning of Christianity spreading throughout the Mediterranean, and those people, now that there had been a widespread dispersion, the diaspora, they, uh, they, they were no longer a great number and they were strong. Uh, they, uh, they were now weak and they were no longer what they once were. And all the rest of the people who had come out of that church and then scattered and all the new Christians who had been won since that time wanted to help them out. The offering needed to be taken. The devil said, I'll get them sidetracked on some other side issue. Why, we will attack the messenger. And that's how it is so very often. God has chosen us and he knew that ahead of time. He knew that we'd go through that. He knew we'd be lied about, but God is our source. Never forget that. God is with us. He is our supply always. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God, he says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. So we have enough in Jesus Christ. Timothy, or Timotheus, is our brother according to the scripture that we have read here. Uh, we have a brotherhood 
among all those that are saved by grace through faith. Everybody who has ever experienced God's saving plan has experienced the same thing in different circumstances, different times, different places, but the same experience. And that experience is the new birth, regeneration. We need to be born again. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious ruler. So salvation only comes one way. You might be, you know, a different age in a different place, but you're going to be saved exactly like I got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by uh, manifesting, expressing faith in His salvation and His saving power. And He comes in and He regenerates us. He makes us brand new. Now, all of these made over brand new people have something in common. Jesus Christ. We can share our testimony and say, I remember I was there when it happened and I ought to know. And it will be different for each of us, but Jesus Christ will be the same. Now, let me say this. You cannot be accurate just because your feelings may be a certain way and say something that's not true about what He has promised to be in our life. He's promised to be our comfort. He's promised to provide grace. And when you say, well, he wasn't there for me, one of two things are true. Either you never truly believed or you're allowing your feelings to speak rather than the truth by the Holy Spirit to speak through you. A born-again Christian may be derp, uh, deep, deeply uh, injured, hurt. They may be wounded and they may say some things that come out of that hurt, but they don't come out of truth. They come out of emotion. They come out of the, the flawed human experience. And that flawed human experience may be very strong, but it is not the truth. The absolute truth is this. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails to show up and to be who He is and to provide all that is available there may be an occasion where a person is so hurt that they don't draw from the Lord or they don't experience the fullness, the abundance that we have in and through Jesus Christ. We need to allow Him to flow through us. Sometimes we'll choke back the tears and sometimes we'll go through the difficult. We'll have the memories. We'll have the hurt. We'll have the feelings and all of that. But that does not alter the truth. The truth goes on and praise the Lord and Jesus never lets us down. He never fails us. There are sometimes people try to jam Jesus Christ into a certain mold. Jesus, I need you to be in this way to me, what I want you to be and not who you actually are. And so then when they experience disappointment that comes from that because of their wrong expectations of Jesus Christ, they turn and accuse God and say, God, why weren't you there for me? Why didn't you do for me what I wanted you to do? God is not our servant. God is on the throne. We are His servant. We don't question Him and how He does things. He, will, he tells us very plainly in the Word of God. He never changes. He's always the same. Just because we had expectations that were not biblical is no reason for us to fall out with God. I have met hundreds of professing believers who said, I'm not going back to church because somebody let me down. 
or something didn't happen the way I expected God to do it. Or some, you know, they'll have some human reason for being upset with God. God didn't let them down. They had expectations that were not scriptural. As a result of that, they're going to be disappointed. Let me tell you right now, if you try to jam God into your own mold of your expectations, you will be disappointed. God is under no obligation to do what you are requiring him to do in order for you to be satisfied. The person who says, I just won't be happy unless my life goes this way. I just won't be happy if that or the other thing. We have had people actually tell us that they just, they won't, they won't be satisfied unless their pet is in heaven with them. Now listen to me. I'm all for you pet lovers. Okay, but you're going to search in vain for a verse that absolutely says that, you know, Fluffy's going to be with you in heaven. Okay? You say, well, I'll just be disappointed. No, you won't because you'll have the mind of Christ and you'll be perfect. And the fact that Fluffy is or isn't there isn't going to be the key. That's not the make or break thing. We've got to stop doing that to God. It is an insult to the character of God and to the revelation of the truth about Him. I just won't be satisfied unless, listen, unless a person's born again, they're not going to be in heaven. Unless they get saved God's way, they're not going to be there. We better accept that now. God will give you grace to understand those things and to believe those things. So there it is. I'm not, as Paul said, Paul an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's where our authority comes from. It comes from God. And he says so here. He's an apostle. He's a representative of Jesus Christ. And he's greeting, he's greeting the saints who are there at Corinth uh, in the behalf of the saints that he's with up in Achaia, which is northern Greece. And he's employing grace and peace from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort in tribulation. Comfort in trouble. Comfort in all circumstances. But God gives us the comfort and he gives us the comfort again. Not to be comfortable, but to comfort others. Here you are going through your loss, going through your pain, going through your disappointment, and God gives you the grace. And you apply it, and you get through it. But then when you're through, guess what? You've got that grace. In a month or six months or 12 months, two years or five years, 10 years down the line, somebody near and dear, somebody from your family or your church says, I'm just going through this hard time of loss or disappointment. You could say, I was going through something similar. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I know this. What's common to man, God provides in and of himself so that we can get through. Let me share with you. Let me help you. And then apply that. Apply that and see how God comforts you. I think it's absolutely wonderful we have a God like that who comforts us in all of our sufferings. It was a couple of weeks ago I spoke on the subject of suffering 
uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 4. And it is a common matter for all of mankind. Uh, disease, accidents, trials, temptations, personal disappointment, abuse, death. Everybody, when that happens, the human condition is such that everybody says, why me? Why me? Now focus for just a moment. I don't mean to sound cruel. I understand because I've been there. I've been hurt, disappointed, suffered loss, been lied about. I've been there. As pastor, we bear the weight not only of our own situation, circumstance, and the circle around us, but we also many times in counseling bear the weight of others. So, when you're tempted to say, why me? Here's a response to consider. Why not? Why not? Whoever said we'd be exempt from suffering? No place in the Bible does it say that. Please come with me to Philippians. Philippians. Chapter 1 and verse 29. Philippians 1.29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. We understand that. There's no period there. There's a comma. But also to suffer for his sake. Part of the calling of God. To identify with Jesus Christ means not only to, to experience the good times, but also the fellowship of His sufferings. We don't get more saved because of it, if I can use that terminology. But we have a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what He wants to do in our life. There it is. For as the sufferings of Christ, verse number 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, abound or overflow in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So whatever suffering we go through, there's always enough. God is always enough. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual. The word effectual means effective. In the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, meaning deliverance. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. There it is. Praise God that as that suffering's coming our way, the consolation is pouring through us. Praise God. And not only to get us through, but to help us to help others as well. The Father of all mercies. He is a, a loving, merciful Father, and it's continuous. It keeps on, keeps on flowing through us, praise God, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's rich in mercy, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ 
Jesus. We, as His trophies, will be held up in future glory, and we will be the visual, the object lesson of God who will say, this is my trophy of grace, and then fill in your name. This is my trophy of grace. I brought him or her or them through, and in so doing, my mercy and <clears throat> my grace flowed through them, and they uh, abounded and, and uh, spilled over on others and helped others through their difficulties, and altogether they were growing in grace and becoming more mature in the things of God so that they became this trophy of grace. God has left us here in this wicked world so that someday he might be able to hold us up and say, oh, what a wonderful trophy of grace they represent. And amen, and amen, and amen. So we have that affliction, that trial that's going on. And then it says this in uh, verse number 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. The terminology there means that they were weighed down, almost crushed, destroyed by the weight of that burden that was so heavy upon them. And yet God permitted it so that they would be a testimony to others. It seems like the greater the calling, the greater the trial. The larger the ministry, the usage of the individual to touch the lives of others, the, the greater the trials. And God will provide great grace. His grace is always enough. He's always enough. So the congregation looks on one or several or a group of people that just seem to be going through it. It's not because they're bad. It's not because they're being judged. It's because God is allowing this to be a testimony of His grace and mercy and comfort so they realize if God can bring them through this, then God can bring us too. Why do they hurt so badly? Why do they go through so much? Because God wants everybody to know, no matter what he or she is going through, that that grace will be sufficient. I want you to think about our sympathetic Savior, Jesus Christ. In the eyes of the world, he was born to an unwed mother. Well, she and Joseph were married, but the talk was not good. He was born in a stable, in the worst of, of toxic conditions. Poor parents who were so poor that when they went to present baby Jesus at the temple on the eighth day for for that, he didn't have a regular sacrifice. They just had some birds, <coughs> birds to offer as a sacrifice. His life, <coughs> his life was threatened numerous times, starting when he was a baby, on through his life. Went through all kinds of sorrow. 
Uh, he grew up in a despicable place. Nazareth was, was just the off-scouring of the world at that time. His, uh, his surrogate father, Joseph, did his best to raise him, raised him up in, in uh, toughening him in the, uh, in the carpenter's shop. And by the time he is presented at 30 years of age, Joseph is gone. He must have passed on. And, and he's got a mom and brothers and sisters, and he's got to be the one looking after them as a young adult. And uh, no place for him to lay his head. He, he told his disciples, the Son of Man, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. All of that, all of that. He was hated. He was despised. He was spoken ill of. He was... He was accused of being crazy, of, of being uh, demon-possessed. He, he was opposed. Even his family wanted to take him home. And uh, he was betrayed by, by Judas. He was, uh, he was uh, forgotten and neglected and, and left behind by his disciples. He went to trial by himself and bore it all, went to Calvary, died on the cross. If anybody ever suffered, it was Jesus. And having done that, and yet he is king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow someday to him, we see how God brought him from the, the lowest position to the highest position, and he will do the same for you. We identify with his sufferings. We understand that. And even though Jesus went through all that for us, and we'll never have to go through that, Whatever we do go through, he's going to bring us through it all. I think about Andre Crouch's great song, Through It All, Through It All. I've learned to trust in Jesus, learned to trust in God. Uh, one of the verses says, uh, if we'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. Boy, that's the truth. If we never had difficulties, so don't ask why. We have a problem so that we'll know after God brings us through that he is a problem solver, that Jesus is still the answer. And in all of this, he wants us to teach others and be a help to others. It says in verse number nine, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. You say, I feel like I'm going to die. Well, you're right where Jesus was. You're right where Paul was. And guess what? That's where the resurrection power comes in. Who delivered us from so great death, a death, and doth deliver uh, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He also helping together by prayer for us that the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons. Thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So just to summarize these verses, these problems teach us to trust in God. They teach us that God has a solution and it's in and through Jesus Christ. We then can share that with others. Also enhances the depths of the richness of our prayer life. Most of us, our prayer life's in the kindergarten, preschool stages. Uh, 
not developed the way it needs to be in throwing ourselves completely on God and His mercy, then experiencing the answers and being able to testify to others of what God can do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, that message was for me. Slip your hand up high. That message was for me. God bless you. Amen. Amen. I'm glad we can trust the Lord. I'm glad for His comfort and His grace. He comforteth us in all kinds of problems, trials, and tribulations so that we might in turn become a comforter to others as well. We know that He's done this through the cross and through the resurrection. We want to sing about this in just a moment. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Take it.